Hello, welcome to the Eminent Show on News Radio. Um, I'm joined with Alex and Kathy here. Hello there. Hi, how you doing? Good, thanks. How are you, Alex? Very well, thank you. Very well. So, Alex is playing next Friday at the local club for Kathy, mm-hmm. um, and we'll come on to that in a bit. Yeah. Um, but first, primarily, come on to talk about the new album you've got coming out. Uh, the new albums. Oh, the new albums. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Came out in June on Max Cooper's Mesh label. It's called Beneath the Surface. So, can you tell us a little bit more about the album, please? Sure. Okay. Well, so this is the follow-up to an album called Illuminate, which I released five years ago on Motorlet to Monkey Town Records. And um, it's quite a gap between the albums. I feel like as an artist, like Illuminate did really well. That was a real kind of jump in my career. And I spent a couple of years touring all over the world. Got to tour with Moderat, playing some amazing venues. Got to tour playing some like tiny little venues and all sorts of random places in between. And um, that was a lot of fun. Got to travel around a lot and gain some amazing experiences playing my music live and um, in front of all sorts of audiences. And um, felt like it was really important for me as an artist to kind of have a bit of a gap between writing albums so that I felt like when I started writing a new album I got something new to say. So um, yeah, Beneath the Surface is as a result of that. It took about two and a half years to make and um, it's very much about me kind of not being on the road so much but taking those experiences sort of back into the studio with a new studio set up, lots of new equipment, uh, lots of inspiration from the experiences that I'd had and um, making a new record out of it. Cool. So I guess we'll come on to talk about your equipment again in a bit. Um, the performance you're doing at the moment, though, the live AV show, when you were writing yeah. the album, were you sort of taking that element into consideration? Was that something you wanted to do with the album? Like think about how performances and the sort of audio-visual aspect of it? Um, I guess when I'm making it, I don't think... Um, like I know some artists are really thinking about like how the tracks are going to flow into each other even when they're creating the album. Uh, for me, I'm not really thinking so much about the live performance aspect of it during the creation stage. However, I'd definitely say that um, the performances that I've done and the, the experiences I've had playing live definitely informed the way the album comes out. So whilst I might not consciously be thinking about um, how I'm going to perform it live, I'm kind of tapping into how it feels to play tracks live and how I would how I've manipulated and, and remixed tracks of my last album in a live context. And I think that kind of in quite a subconscious way informs the way particularly the structures turn out. So um, I mean, one example, I've been asked this question before that I, I keep coming back to is a track called In The Silence, um, which is on Beneath The Surface. And um, I can, when I was writing that, I was really imagining what it would sound like in a huge kind of industrial warehouse venue and there's this long build-up, it takes a couple of minutes to get going and it strips down to this kind of really simple, really big sounding bass line. And um, I feel that experiences I've had playing in those sorts of environments gave me the confidence to make a tune like that where it just strips down to like one pretty much three note bass line and having played in those sorts of environments kind of get a feel for how that sort of track is going to work. And um, I think the first time I got to play it out was actually at Printworks, which Kathy, the show that Kathy came to. And uh, funnily enough, she sent me a little video clip a week or so later, and it was of that track, we playing it out for the first time, which was quite cool. 
which room of Printworks was that? That was in the in room two. In room two. In room two. In room two. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's room room one. Yeah, that room was massive. It was a very very full room too. Yeah, yeah, And I've got a video clip of Alex waving to me. You have to send it over. Um, funny enough, that, that show was really kind of, uh, like, we'll come on to this later, but when I got back to my hotel after that night, I got a message from Max Cooper um, saying, like, oh, hey, man, I've heard that you might have a new album that you're looking, looking for a label to release on. So it's quite, um, quite a strange timing that the, the night I played that track out for the first time uh, was the same night that um, basically the journey began of me eventually releasing on Max Cooper's Mesh label. So... Um, so yeah, to answer the question, I guess, although I'm not consciously thinking about like how the tracks are going to be played live, I'm certainly imagining the context they're going to be played in. And, and, um, and again, like, I guess the same process with the last album where I got to play the tracks out live and, and manipulate them in different ways. The same is starting to happen with this album where I've worked the tracks into my live set and every show that I play, they end up turning out a little bit different. And the more shows you do, the more touring you do, the more the tracks kind of develop and evolve into their own thing, where it almost becomes like a new live version, um, which can sometimes be reasonably far removed from the album. But that keeps it really fun and interesting for me because it means that every show is different and the tracks are continually evolving. And for me, that's really important because if I was just playing the same set throughout you know, throughout all the touring that I do, it gets a bit boring and it's, I think the audience pick up that like, if I'm not feeling inspired and energised by it, then they don't feel inspired either. So um, it keeps it fresh for me and I think it, it makes the show really interesting and engaging. Yeah, you can definitely always tell when a DJ's uh, enjoying it. It definitely makes a difference, I think. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so going back to sort of your influence, to say for the album, you're on about um, your experiences in clubs. Is that sort of, do you want to go into that? Is that more of your influences, like from nights out and stuff? Is that what shaped your music, or the other artists shaped your music? Or yeah, I'd say like um, touring a bit and like playing at particularly festivals where you get to see a wide range of artists. Um, that could be really cool. Or or nights like Printworks where I'm on the bill amongst lots of other people who a lot of them are my, my favourite DJs or producers. And that for me is the like the best night out because not only do I get the fun and enjoyment of getting to play and be part of it but I get to hang out with um, a lot of like-minded creative people and I get to see what they're doing in the same sort of context um, and often without the stress of being harassed by bouncers and um, <laughs> like um, having to queue for hours to, to buy drinks at ridiculous prices and all the other parts of going to club nights which sometimes aren't so much fun. Um, not that you get any of that at Minotaur Sound, of course, where the vibe is combined. <laughs> all the bouncers are sound. <laughs> um, but yeah, those, those experiences definitely, um, definitely inspire me. Um, but I still go to shows as well, like, and I, um, uh, what did I see? I'm trying to think. I haven't really been out too much lately because I've been in the studio a lot, um, like working on the live set and um, I'm working on some remixes that I'm doing at the moment. But um, I'm going to see... John Hopkins at Printworks, he's curating a night with Daniel Avery and Nathan Fake, that's in October. And um, he's also doing a show in Brighton at the Dome here, uh, which is like, um, I can't remember how he describes it exactly, but he's exploring some of his more kind of meditating, sort of um, ethereal kind of music, balancing against the more sort of techno stuff. It sounds like quite an interesting show. 
Uh, John Hopkins has been a big influence of mine. I absolutely love his sound. So, um, so yeah, looking forward to this print work show. I'm actually going away for two months at the end of this year um, to the Canary Islands, primarily, well, two reasons. One, to escape the UK winter and the miserable weather, but um, also to start working on a new EP. So I'm going to be taking quite a lot of equipment with me and setting up a little studio over there. And uh, timing-wise, it works out quite well that the, the show at Printworks is, um, I think, three or four days before I go. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to going and getting like, a massive dose of inspiration from some of my favourite artists and then scurrying away to, um, to a hotter climate, sitting in a room and, uh, and interpreting it all. So. Wicked, it sounds cool. So, yeah, uh, yeah do you want to talk a bit more about your, your setup and stuff in your studio then? And what, you, what you've used in this album? Sure. So um, I've been in the studio that I'm in at the moment, it's um, Metway Studios, it's owned by the Levelers, who were very big back in the day, uh, like a huge sort of festival kind of rock folk band. And um, there's been some really legendary people who have had studios there over the years, like Orbital used to have a studio uh, sort of two doors down in the corridor. Um, Evil Nine and Adam Freeland used to be in the studio that I'm in. Um, and it's like very big part of the whole sort of breakbeat scene, which was really big, big in Bryson sort of back in the day. Um, so I've, I've been there about six or seven years now, I think, and I did my previous album, Illuminate, in there. And um, I really felt like before I started making a new album, I needed to change the space and get lots of new equipment and sort of change the way I work in order to keep things fresh, because I feel it's really important to, if you want to feel inspired as an artist, to try and capture that thing that you get when you're a kid where you're just like you're just excited by what you're doing and you don't really know what you're doing yet but you just want to give it a go and and be inspired by it and i think there's a bit of a risk sometimes as a producer like i'm i'm in the studio usually five or six days a week i spend a lot of time in there and um you're using the same equipment and there gets a point like no matter how much you might love a certain synth or whatever, you're going to exhausted a lot of the sounds that you can get from it. So it's really important for me to give myself new challenges, have new equipment to play with and find different methodologies and different ways of working to try and keep things fresh. So before I started working on the last album, I invested in a big like 24 track analog desk, uh, loads more outboard. I got some more like outboard compressors. Pretty much like any bit of kit that I've been using as like a plug-in analog emulation, um, for example, like uh, 1176 compressors, which are really famous for their kind of very sort of hard compressed sound. I've been using the plug-in versions of those a lot. So I splashed out and bought some real ones so that I had like the real equipment there. And the same like valve distortion, I've been using a lot of valve emulation software. So um, the desk that I got, I got like a stereo valve channel in it, which I use a huge amount during the writing process. Um, so maybe you get a drum loop up or you're working with a drum machine and you kind of patch it into this like bow distortion and all of a sudden like it's got so much more life and kind of vibe to it. Um, so that, that was a big part of it, like the desk, I've got loads of sound treatment, got the room sounding really nice. Um, got a new Prophet 6 uh, which had just come out at the time, like really nice analogs, uh, analog synth. Got a Vermona DRM1 which is like quite an obscure drum machine from Berlin. Uh, makes really weird sounds, really fun to play around with. Really difficult to recall the sounds because there's no digital presets or any sort of preset that you call on. You just basically mess around with the knobs, find the sound you like and you have to record it before it's gone because you'll never get it to sound quite the same way twice. But that's that's all the, all the fun of it really. And um, 
again, like coming back to the live thing, I've, um, the way that I've been manipulating the tracks live felt so fun and intuitive to have lots of hands-on control. So for this record, I really set things up to make everything as intuitive and live feeling as possible and try to capture as much kind of live performance aspects as I could into the recording. So whereas one production method might have been to like automate and kind of draw on the screen and, and really go into the details of like every little filter sweep or every little sound design bit you might want to do, I found it a lot more fun and the results much more interesting if I just kind of hit record and jam and, and mess around with the synths and then and then see what comes out. So so basically the studio was set up to enable me to do that and to try and capture as much vibe and energy as I could with as little faffing around and as little kind of technical intervention as I could. Um, and then obviously in the months afterwards comes lots of relatively boring editing and tweaking with a mouse on the screen, which is like, whilst that's not the most enjoyable part of the process for me, I think if you listen to my sound, it's a real mix of kind of warm analog, um, sound versus kind of futuristic kind of very technological based sound and obviously there has to be a degree of editing and, and sort of computer based work that comes in that so um, so yeah the studio was kind of basically set up to, to try and like be a real like digital analog uh, hybrid setup um, but uh, yeah it's a lot of fun to work in there it's a really cool space and, and then what, what kit do you take out on the road of you? So that was quite a challenge. Is like it's all well and good having a studio full of analog gear to play with to make all these tunes, and then you've got to think of like obviously I can't take the whole studio out on the road with me, and something like my Moon Voyager, for example, is an absolutely huge and damn heavy synthesizer. Like I have toured with it a little bit. I think I did three shows with it, and it weighs an absolute ton. It's just not practical. Um, so, um, I mean, a lot's changed since I was touring my previous album like five years ago. There wasn't really an alternative to the Mo Voyager, so the shows where I really wanted to have that synth, I had to take it with me. I feel in the last five years, there's been a real move with the like, synth manufacturers to make a lot smaller portable synths. So, for example, uh, there's now Roland SEO2, which is what I bought uh, for the live shows. And basically, it's the same synth architecture as the, as the Mo Voyager. Uh, or very similar and you can create really similar sounds but it weighs literally like a tenth of the weight and it's a fraction of the size so um, so I got one of those for the live performance and um, I got a model one mixer which is kind of the heart of the live show now which is uh, Richie Horton's designed uh, mixer that he works on I think with the guys from Allen and Heath um, that's a really beautiful bit of kit like pure analog signal path like incredibly high quality EQs and filters on it um, and what else am I using? Using the Moe Mother, which is a little single oscillator synth, which I use quite a bit on the record. Uh, that's a lot of fun to play live with because the controls are really intuitive and um, can very quickly mangle it and get some really weird sounds, but can also quite quickly get back to the sound that you wanted so you're not stood on stage for half an hour trying to get something to sound half decent. And. Um, yeah, a few other toys like reverbs and delays, which were also pedals that I'd used on the album. So it's quite nice to be able to like, I mean, they're just basically guitar pedals, so they're quite easy to take out on the road. And it's it's cool to be able to recreate the sounds that I've actually got on the record in the live context using the exact same bit of kit. Uh, but basically the whole thing is, is based around Ableton with, um, with a push controller 
and I've broken down all the kind of key elements of every track onto the pads that are in front of me on the matrix on the push and I can trigger different parts of the tracks and bring in different sounds and manipulate them with the kit. Um, so all of that is then being fed into like a, a Eurorack modular effects unit that I bought, um, which is like super nerdy and geeky. And I didn't really know much about it, but I've got some friends that be getting into modular, so bought myself a kind of one new rack, which is like not too big that I can I can take it out on the road with me. And there's some really fun effects in there, and it's it looks really cool. It's got lots of wires and flashing lights and all sorts of stuff and uh, uh, there's an element of unpredictability in that which I actually quite like like if everything's too kind of too perfect and too easy then it doesn't really feel like a live performance like, I think playing live should be a little bit difficult there's got to be a challenge there and it's uh, it's a bit nerve-wracking but also quite fun to know that the whole thing could kind of stop working at any minute um, it hasn't done that during a show yet and uh, <laughs> Hopefully it's not going to, but you never know. Cool. And um, is there any particular sort of um, synth or hardware or something you've got your eye on next? Um, what have I been looking at? I'm trying to think now. Um, they've just announced, I think Behringer have just announced that they're going to release a clone of the Yamaha CS80. Um, and the CS80, I've had the, they, Arturia made a plug-in version of this. Uh, years ago, I think it was one of the first plugins that I owned actually, um, and it's like it's a really legendary synth. It's famous for like the sounds from Blade Runner. Um, it's got a kind of very 80s like warm analog kind of feel, but it, you can do a lot of cool stuff with it. It doesn't necessarily sound 80s. Um, so yeah, I've always wanted a real one of them, but I mean like the CS80s again, they weigh absolutely ton and they're very rare and they're extremely expensive. I think you're looking at like eight grand upwards, um, maybe even more. Uh, so yeah, whilst like, um, I mean up until a few years ago, Behringer kind of hadn't really got a particularly good name in the music industry and morally it's a little bit questionable how they're kind of basically cloning all these designs of like all these top synths and drum machine manufacturers and doing them a lot cheaper uh, but like yeah I'm not going to be buying an authentic Yamaha CS80 anytime soon so if they want to make a brand new version of it that's, uh, that's affordable then I'm, I'd definitely love to get a hold of one of them and um, uh, I don't know and I think for, for working on the next EP I've just got myself a little Korg Volker FM uh, and the Volkers, like, I bought the drum machine one a few years ago um, and used that quite a bit actually on the last album, sometimes just as a starting block to kind of get an idea going. And they're such great bits of kit, like, they're, they're tiny, they're cheap, um, they're really fun to play with. Uh, the drum machine one that I bought originally is, is kind of a little bit limited as to what it can do, but the um, yeah, I bought the FM because whilst it only has a few controls on it, like FM synthesis is actually quite complicated and there's a lot you can do with it. And obviously if I'm going to be traveling to another country to write, then I wanted to kind of get some new stuff that's very portable, which this is. So, um, so yeah, it should be fun to play with. And um, what's going to be quite interesting for me is writing new music in a different environment without the entire studio there with me. So I'll be bringing basically my live setup um, and it's going to be quite cool because I've got really used to, to working with the live setup and and the feel of, of like it's basically like an instrument. All the different synths and drum machines that I've bought 
to be part of the kind of live show and are all configured in such a way that it, the whole thing kind of feels like one instrument. I know where everything is, I know how to get certain sounds. Uh, so it's going to be interesting for me not to have all the synths that I usually fall back on, but just to write with these new bits of kit that I bought that were originally designed to play libraries, but obviously um, you know, they, they can be used for synth for uh, music creation as well. So. Um, so yeah, I'm li limiting myself buying too much new kit at the moment because I physically won't be able to transport it. But I'm sure when I'm back, I'll be um, I'll be buying some new bits of kit. I think I've, I've actually made the decision that uh, there's no more f space in my studio to buy any new kit. So the sofa, the sofa is going to have to go. Like I, I hate to say it, but like uh, that's basically the only wall left that hasn't been full of equipment. So um, the sofa is going to have to go at the expense of some synthesizers, I'm afraid. Cool. Uh, so the album is coming out on Mesh, which is Matt Cooper's label. The album is oh, out. Sorry, is sorry, out. sorry let's, let's try that again. Start again. Keep, Start again. Keep, keep saying that. So the album is out, uh, is out on Matt Cooper's label Mesh. Um, do you want to talk about the label Mesh, like how Matt Cooper came across you and sort of the importance yeah, the label's sure. Yeah, sure. So Max and I actually met, um, I think probably about eight years ago or so. Um, my sister and I went to see him play at a show in the Electro Works in London and she's a huge fan of his and she actually got me into his music and um, yeah we got along to see him and uh, we like saw him kind of after, I can't remember if it was, yeah I think it was after the show just like saw him walking around the venue and uh, I was slightly embarrassed at the time my sister insisted on having a photo taken with Max and I was like oh no. So, so he took the photo and ended up having a bit of a chat with him and I, I mentioned that I produced music and he's just, what struck me is actually how down to earth and cool he was. Oh wow, you produce music too. Cool, let's have a, you know, have a chat about it. And um, we sort of stayed in touch from then really. I think he gave me his email address. I sent him some tunes that I've been working on and um, he was really into uh, Illuminate, the album that came out in Monkey Town. Um, he really liked the tracks on that and then we, uh, yeah, stayed in touch, exchanged some ideas, collaborated on a track um, which came out as part of his sort of free download series um, a few years ago now. And um, yeah, just sort of stayed in touch really. And then um, just sort of by coincidence, it was actually a mutual friend of ours. I was having a beer with Max. I'd sent some tracks to this friend of mine that I've been working on and he happened to mention to Max that I've got these tunes. He thought they were sounding really good and thought they might be a good fit for Max's label. So as I mentioned earlier, um, got back from my Printworks Geek and found a message from Max saying, um, you know, I had a beer with uh, with a chap the other day here, you might have some tunes that I might want to hear. And um, and that's kind of where it started, but it's, it's really nice the way things like that work out. It's, I feel it's a really good fit for Max's label, particularly with the audio-visual aspect um, and all the visuals that I've had created for the live show, which was all part of the plan anyway. Like the visual side is a really big element to um, to what Mesh is all about, and um, I think musically, like Max Cooper's been an influence on me over the years. Um, I don't think our music sounds identical, but I think you can hear his influence in there. And um, it's just quite nice the way it all sort of worked out, really. I think it's, it's a really good fit on his label. Um, it brings something a little bit different to, um, to what he's doing himself, but I think aesthetically it all kind of works well together. And it uh, goes without saying, Alex has been uh, getting some good attention from um, BBC Radio 6. Is that right? 
Yes, yeah, Marianne Hobbs, uh, she's been a really big supporter of mine over the years, um, ever since the Bonobo remix that I did um, back in 2012, I think it was, came out. So um, she premiered the first single that came out of the album, which was a track called Chasms featuring an Icelandic singer called Asgir. Uh, so yeah, that was cool, it was really quite touching to get support from her, like she's an absolute legend. and. Um, yeah, she, she plays some amazing music on her show, so it's, it's quite an honour to have my track premiered by her. And uh, yeah, that was cool. Tom Ravenscroft's been really supportive on Radio 6 as well. He played a lot of tracks off the album. I did a guest mix for him recently as well. Um, so that's been cool. And um, yeah, yeah, it's done, it's done quite well. We've, we've got a third single coming up, um, which we're going to be releasing uh, I think end of October, um, we're just getting the details together for that and that's going to be followed by a series of remix EPs that we're doing, we've got some amazing artists who've done remixes, there's more news on that to come soon but um, that's been a really kind of really rewarding part of the process is now the album's done and it's out, uh, getting to then have a lot of the like incredible artists that I've, that I've been lucky enough to be affiliated with reinterpreting those works um, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how those go down once they come out and then the visual aspect then have you done your own visuals have you collaborated with someone on, on that so i collaborated with a guy called bertie samson whose company is immersive media and um, that came about through uh, friends of friends um, i mentioned that i was looking for someone to work on visuals for live show but rather than just be visuals, I, I wanted to have like rather just sort of projected digital visuals. I wanted to have some kind of physical element to it as well, and something that was quite distinctive and, and something that isn't just projected. It's actually something that's on the stage with me. And um, Bertie's extremely talented guy. He's been doing um, uh, visuals at like, a lot of the top festivals, like Glastonbury. He's doing like Shangri-La stage. Uh, Junction 2 Festival, um, I went there, this was a couple of days after the album came out, actually Matt's Cooper was playing up there, so I went along to hang out with the label guys, and um, turns out Bertie was doing the visuals for Max that afternoon on the, on the main stage, and um, he's done a lot of incredible work with like, LED light installations in all sorts of, um, all sorts of different environments. So um, yeah, it's really cool to work with him. He, um, he hadn't done anything quite like this before, because uh, what I think is interesting about the live show and the visual aspect is it's entirely reactive to what I'm doing so um, the way I structured my live set musically is as I've mentioned earlier with the, um, the different equipment and with the, the setup with Ableton Live is that I can improvise and kind of reinterpret the songs or the tracks of the album in, in different ways in the real-time environment and I needed to have the visuals created in such a way that they can follow what I'm doing so if I decide I'm going to go into a breakdown, I'm going to extend the breakdown and then drop into a different track, he's designed the visuals so that it's reacting to what I'm doing in real time and it will follow me uh, on the musical journey that I'm kind of going with. So um, so I think that, that helps it be really effective. It doesn't feel like there's just visuals being projected as sort of visual wallpaper in, in the background. I think like, you know, you watch, the, you watch the show, you're listening to the music, you really feel that it's totally immersive because what you're seeing is is reacting totally in sync and in real time with everything that I'm doing no matter how sort of improvised and out there it is um, and then he's built these LED uh, sort of pyramid structures that sit at the front of the stage which are also reacting to what I'm doing so you're seeing the visuals projected at the back but you're also seeing these um, 
kind of 3D LED triangle things that are also kind of uh, reacting to what I'm doing and, and working in sync with the visuals. So, um, so yeah, it's really cool. Like we worked, we worked on it for probably three months of on and off, kind of developing the ideas. As I was developing the live set, I was sending ideas over to him in London. He was developing bits, we were sort of bouncing ideas back and forth. And um, the first time we got to see it all come together was the album launch show in Brighton a couple of months ago, and um, we got a lot of footage from that night. It looked looked really cool. The response was really good, and uh, yeah, pleased to say it, it all worked out sort of as as I wanted it to. Um, and it's kind of scale scalable as well. So at the moment, I have these like three pyramids which will work really well in a club. But if you want to play on a big festival stage or sort of take it out on the road to some other environments, then you could basically add as many of these LED triangles as you like. Um, not that I have visions of grandeur, but I'm imagining like huge structures that like fill the stage. Um, but yeah, maybe that'll come later. <laughs> no, it'll be interesting to see. I'm coming to Bristol. Yeah, in, in the local club as well. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the venue, I don't expect. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's something I can I can talk to you about. So, uh, so the, the lovely thing about the local club is the fact that it's, uh, it's very grimy, sort of underground. It sort of lends itself well to the sort of minor tour identity, if you like. The minor tour sounds all about being in a labyrinth. It's sort of dark and dingy. We're not your pristine sort of club night. Um, so the fact that yeah, we're, we're taking over these tunnels that affect that are like literally underneath. Temple Meads train station. They're the old maintenance laybys, I think, where the trains used to get maintained. Oh, cool. Um, cool. So it made, just made me laugh, Kathy. Like you're saying that it's not a sort of pristine kind of clean night. I've I haven't been out in Bristol that much in recent years, but I don't remember I ever remember seeing. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a reputation of being a bit, a bit dirty. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had a, we've had a, yeah, continue with that, that sort of reputation, <laughs> especially when Minotaur sounds involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. So yeah, I mean, if I can talk about that for a bit, uh, so that apart from the fact that we've got Alex coming to play for us for the second time round, um, we've got this amazing venue, which in its own virtue is warrants people to come along and visit it. Um, like I say, it's underground, it's got a really nice feel to it, it's got an amazing space, the acoustics are incredible. Um, I've got a really good technical team, sort of working closely with Alex to talk about his whole setup, making sure that we've got everything um, laid out for him. But also, we're in the background on that night, we're going to have a, a sort of jamming session between... Um, my technician Stefan Goodchild and uh, a colleague of his doing a collaboration. Uh, this is Leon, who runs the um, Chroma Touch Dome at Shambhala Woodland. Okay, cool. Um, so Shambhala Festival. So we get elements of that as well coming into it. Um, so yeah, as a venue, it, I'm really excited um, to, to, to get it all together. Because it, it's kind of like a blank canvas, isn't it? Although it's under, you've got the tunnel, which you know is the very identifiable bit of the club. Yes. It is a blank canvas that you can sort of dry hire and do what yeah. you want in the space, which makes it great as exactly. well. Exactly, and it's a space that, that doesn't get utilised enough. I mean, Bristol's already at risk of losing so many venues. Um, it's one of those places that's just sort of the jewel in the crown when it comes to um, clubbing and sort of nightlife in Bristol so I'm really excited about the fact that we we get this really good opportunity to use it cool sounds like fun really looking yeah. forward to seeing it yeah 
Okay. Um, so, so have you been to other nights there before? What kind of thing do they normally have? Oh, oh uh, yeah. There's. I've been to a couple of nights. I went to a, uh, a Halloween night there once, which was absolutely insane. It's, it's actually. It's it's looked after. I don't think it's owned. I think it's looked after by Invisible Circus. Um, and they are uh, quite a sort of well-known. Um, they own. They they look after the island and a couple of other venues in Bristol. Right. Um, and right. they're very well known for sort of quirky, outlandish events. You know, you'll have, uh, you know, like people sort of um, throwing fire. I don't know if it's like anything to do with fire and poi in one room, and then there'll be like bashings of techno in the other. So they're they're well known for quirky stuff. That's for sure. Nice. Nice. Cool. Cool. How quirky How are you expecting my face to be? Well, like a special, like a special, special outfit. outfit on. <laughs> 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 no, 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 no kind of club this is. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's anything to do with the first, the first night that you, you obviously you, you were with us at Blue Mountain. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, that was absolute beauty to see because I saw you first play at uh, Printworks um, yeah. and as we were talking about that earlier it was just amazing to see Alex in this room and it was just quite small compared to the main room um, and he absolutely filled it with people and he played well I can only describe it I mean I hate you can't put apply a genre to Alex at all it's, it goes from melodic techno I think you finish with drum and bass uh, <laughs> quite possibly, yeah. quite possibly. Uh, and the, the whole room you could see that I mean everyone was just so fired up and raring to go the vibe was just off the scale and I knew that you would bring that really well to Minotaur and you did that so well when we, we um, had you at Blue Mountain um, so the fact that you're doing this now live at the Loco Club is just yeah yeah I'm just chomping at the bit for it really wicked cool I'm looking forward to it <laughs> So can you tell me a bit more about Minotaur Sunday? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I came to Bristol in 2014, um, and having not known Bristol at all, I li literally I came came along, loved it. I love its um, the way it embraces music and culture in such a diverse way. Uh, and up until then, I'd lived in the Midlands and not really um, got involved in music at all, let alone DJing or anything like that. Um, and I've been brought up on quite a bit of synthy stuff. Um, never even realised it was called techno. So <laughs> uh, attended a couple of nights, which I thought were really good. Um, and I thought, oh, I can do this. And being a project manager, um, I decided to just sort of get involved. And that's how Minotaur Sound was born in 2016. I brought a complete unknown, uh, Illinois from Halley, uh, loved his sound. And the thing that I do is just sort of latch onto people with who, with who their sound just sort of I can relate to. It's, you know, it's anything that's warm, melodic. I mean, sometimes people mislabel us as a techno night um, and I can see why they would easily do that. I mean, we do play elements of techno, but it has to be about the vibe. It has to be about the warmth. It has to be about the melody. 
Um, so I created this identity for ourselves called Minotaur Sound, uh, very much a sort of beast identity, which is why it sort of lends itself to sort of like dirty clubs in Bristol. Um, and so where, I, where did the name come from, Kathy? You mentioned something on Facebook. Oh day. yeah, the name came from my. I, I was thinking, right, I want to put on a legend, a party that everyone thinks, oh my god, that's like the party of legends. And my stepson, who can't have been much more than, oh, how old was he, 10, 11 at the time, he went, well, why don't you call it something to do with Minotaurs? I think he was doing a project or something at the I time. I remember that big school project about <laughs> Minotaurs, but I was like that sort of age. Yeah, yeah, I think it's something you just have and to it, do when you're that it, Exactly, and at that age, you think, you know, children are so innocent. And I thought, that's a genius idea. That's, that's such a good name. So we came up with Minotaur Sound. Um, and it, yeah, and it just took a life of its own because the the actual, you know, obviously if you know about the Minotaur and the myth um, and the way I relate Minotaur sounds and have a certain voice on social media, it's it's really nice to talk about sort of the beast in that sort of sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so like I say, it's sort of created a wonderful following of people. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool how, like, you know, Minotaur is like this mythical beast, and it also means that you can give the club night, like, an identity. Um, yeah, it's like it's its own thing. Kind of, you almost personify it in a, in a mythical object. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. no, it's nice. It's nice to see that. And um, I this will be the sixth party that we've hosted. Uh, we, we do smaller sort of mini minor tours in between but it really takes the stuffing out of me so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> promoting as, uh, as you probably know, yeah, yeah. Um, promoting and putting on big nights is absolutely mega. Especially in Bristol as well, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> lot of competition as well. Oh gosh, yeah and, and not only that there's a lot of pressure to, um, I mean I'll, I'll be lucky if I break even, obviously I, I yeah it's, it's just a very competitive environment um, but we do it for the love and it's, it's so nice to see people come along and enjoy that and spread that enjoyment and spread that love um, yeah so one of the I think one of the really good moments that we had uh, back in the day was 2007 I think it was like our second big night um, and I heard of a guy called Dennis Horvat uh, who at the time was just up and coming um, and a lot of people said, "Oh no, no, don't, don't, don't go for him. He's, you know, he's, he's not well known enough. You, you're going to lose money." And I was like, "Well, actually, I really like his sound." So I got in touch with his agent, um, and that was an amazing night at Lakota. Uh, and yeah, I, th I think I'm, I'm a bit of a risk taker. That's cool. Um, I didn't, I didn't know you, but Dennis, uh, we chatted a bit recently on, uh, I think, on Instagram because he'd been playing out uh, one of the tracks off my album. Um, so I'd sort of sent, I think somebody had tagged us in the post, so I just sent a message, like, oh, hey man, you know, cool to hear that you like the tracks and you've been playing them out. Like, yeah, album sounds wicked. So, um, yeah, I didn't know that you'd worked with him. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, no, he's a really nice guy. He, yeah, he came along to Bristol. It was his debut in Bristol and, uh, yeah, took a punt on him and, it, and the night went down really well. So, yeah, that was lush to see. Minotaur Sound, uh, we're 
put on nights at various venues, uh, starting off at the island, we've been at Lakota, Blue Mountain, Basement 45, we're very much Bristol-centric. Like I say, any, any wider than that, it would take the stuffing out of me. Um, but we've had little mini minor tours in really random places. We did it at hairdressers. We did it at my partner's. Really? <laughs> yeah. That glitch, glitch. That was glitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, people actually having, having their hair cut last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that went down well. Um, we did it at, uh, at my partner's studio. That was fun. Um, and uh, most recently, we were at the Chromatouch Dome at Shambhala Festival. And if anyone has been to Shambhala Festival and remembers the Chromatouch Dome in the in the woodlands, I remember how outlandish the 360 degree. Uh, projections on the ceiling were um, and we've kind of got that at our next minor tour but without the 360 degree bit <laughs> so that's that's gonna be super fun um, yeah when it comes to um, minor tour as a from an ethical perspective what I do I'm really proud of is that I like pushing for more women on lineups um, obviously you know I work um, with all genders, but I, I do feel that where when it comes to women, sometimes we're a little bit underrepresented. So it's nice to be a sort of to provide a platform for that, um, and um, and that has also inspired me to DJ. <laughs> that, how long have you been playing for now? I, I haven't been playing for very long. I've been I've been sort of dabbling on it in my front room on a tractor if, over the last. Three, four years and it was what it was quite wonderful actually because last time Alex played for us he brought his tractor and I was like oh my god I can, <laughs> I've been doing that in my front room and he does it yeah out, out to the public so I thought actually you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna push myself break through the shyness barrier and I played for one of my nights and I loved it so much um, that yeah I decided to get my own XDJs as well so Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be DJing. Uh, yeah, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Uh, I haven't been DJing very long, but I'm going to be sort of warming up for you, Alex. <laughs> cool. <laughs> who, who else is playing on the night then as well? So on the two? night, so I've got Stefan Goodchild um, um, on the lineup. He's also known as Token Male, which okay. was his idea. <laughs> 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 he plays downbeat uh, techno, very wonky. He calls it armchair techno, which armchair uh, techno. goes very well. <laughs> Uh, he's really good. And then I've got Sarah Eyre playing and she plays a really nice sort of fusion of uh, anything from new disco to tech house to techno. Uh, she absolutely filled room too last time. Um, yeah, so she's, she's brilliant. And then it's me and I do, I, I primarily veer towards sort of tech house, but I've been playing around with a bit more sort of minimal techno and uh, I love house as well so you can kind of expect anything from me like I say I don't like genres or don't I don't like being genre specific and then there's Alex of course doing his live AB set and then we've got a really really nice uh, DJ called Tina Hart who has DJed for me quite a few times before and she is literally one of my secret weapons. Okay. We've just wheeled <laughs> Tina along. She's also bright, she's from Brighton. Um, yeah. Uh, and she just comes along and just has this knack. It's just exactly like Alex, just, just wins the room completely. Um, and the nice thing is, and it's really nice to announce it, is that both she and Alex will be uh, DJing at the after party as well. 
play, and the after party goes until seven. The yeah? after party goes until seven. <laughs> <laughs> Whether or not Alex yeah, and that. Tina will be on until seven, I don't know. I think I've got like an empty slot right at the end where, yeah, I think anything will go then. <laughs> yeah. So I hope I hope you got all the energy. Yeah. No, it'll be it'll be fun. Like, because. Um, Years ago, my sister used to live in Bristol, and um, I think when I was at uni, she was down there. So I used to drive down the M4 from London on a Friday afternoon and kind of come back on a Monday uh, feeling like a very different person, having had not a lot of sleep and, and a very heavy weekend. I'd been to quite a few of those after parties like long before I was actually kind of like, established and playing out. So. Um, it's going to be quite fun for me to be back in Bristol and be at like yeah, a very late night after party and actually be the guy DJing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, it's, so, uh, yeah, it's a good job we don't put the do these very often. Indeed. And actually, I forgot to mention. Um, so at the after party, we also have so there's Alex, uh, there's Tina. Um, we've got, I'm talking about sort of slight risk taking, but I know I'm going to nail it. I've got um, brand new DJs, Sam Wilson, also known as Nova. Um, I think he sent me a mixtape about a year ago and I kind of forgot about it. I get sent a lot of stuff, I'm sure you yeah, get yeah. as well. <laughs> uh, and then I thought, oh, I'll put it on and absolutely blew me away. He came to one of my nights as well and we got chatting. Um, so yeah, I'm taking a chance on him, but I know he's not going to disappoint. And then um, uh, Graham Styles, also known as Seamless Styles, this will be his absolute debut. Uh, and uh, he said he's bricking it, but I know he's going to nail it. <laughs> we all brick it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Laura Murphy, uh, also known as Putty Rubber, I first heard her at a duvet vu night, and she absolutely blew me away. Um, on top of the fact that she's brilliantly talented, she's super lush to know um, and she joined me at Shambhala as well um, and just took the took the Woodland Dome by storm um, and yeah so so we've got lots of exciting things happening at the after party as well. So uh, suffice to say, so we're so we're, we're just under a couple of weeks uh, from uh, this night. Um, so we've got tickets currently on head first. Uh, so we're doing really well there. Um, so tickets are currently priced at eight pounds, and we'll be doing a swap for wristbands on the night. Um, and it obviously it's after party going on and that's a fiver but anyone who goes in with their main party wristband will be able to get their party ticket their after party tickets for a fiver um, otherwise it'll be a bit more expensive um, if you're just going to the after party so yeah head first um, get your tickets today cool cool I should probably also mention that I have uh, LP copies of my new album with me on the night um, also appreciate that people might not necessarily want to buy a record and then take it out raving with them and then go to an after party because I think 
knowing what Bristol after parties are like, if they did that, there's a fair chance the LP wouldn't be coming home with them. But if anyone does want to buy it on the night, then uh, I'm quite happy to take their address and post it to them or leave it in Bristol somewhere for them to kind of collect at their convenience. Oh, that sounds amazing. Cool. Although... Well, I'll, I'll probably grab one of those off you in that, in that oh, case. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, and it might actually be a really good ploy because uh, with after parties, you know, you could just, yeah, just sell anything and <laughs> people will buy it. <laughs> Actually, no, you shouldn't really say that.
I'm so addicted Only in my head Trust my dopeness Give me your hand Less than zero More than one Come on, baby It's time to run